Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for watching over us, protecting us, guiding us, and blessing us to have the health to assemble together in the house of the Lord. We know that there are some that have been sick lately, were not able to attend. Sister Sharon not feeling well today. Pray that you would be with her as she's joining us online. And thank you, our Father, for always being there, for never leaving us to ourselves. Sometimes it seems as if we are not only in the midst of the sea in a turbulent storm without rudder or sail. And even in the morass of a whirlpool, nevertheless, thou art there. And we thank you for that. We freely confess that thy ways are so far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. Nevertheless, thou art God. And as we have mentioned to you earlier from your word, where you have told us that the wrath of man praises you and the remainder you restrain, that man would be far, far wickeder if it were not for your restraining mercies. We would ask that you would be with faithful men who stand to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, that you would bless them to continue to be faithful, bless them to be strengthened by you, bless their messages to bring forth fruit to your honor and to your glory. Pray that you would raise up others that would stand in the gap. Pray that you might even bless the gospel to go forth in such a way that there would be some type of revival granted throughout the nation. We pray for our meeting that is coming up and for those uh, that will be traveling some great distances, some just our regular normal routines, but we still pray that you would uh, bless overall in every way for safety, but more particularly that you would bless the ministers that are coming and that you would not only lead and guide them in what to preach, for you know our hearts and the heart of the, the assembly that will be here and what's needed. 
and that you would bless them to deliver it in such a way that is not only honoring and pleasing unto you, but to the good of our souls. We pray that you would be with those that rule over us and that you would overrule them in such a way that we might ever be blessed to lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And for those who have evil motives or some that are just ignorant and know not what they do, that you would restrain them and or change their hearts as is needed. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Now again, we pray that you would be with us as we continue in this worship. In Christ we ask, Amen. We're still in the book of Galatians. We've been studying through this book for some time. We're in the sixth chapter. And I think maybe we will get through it today, but I'm not sure. But if we don't, that that's all right. We took a great deal of time with verses 6 through 8 having to do with ministerial giving because usually verse 7 is taken out of context to talk about any sin. And the principle can be used for any sin, but uh, the whole overall uh, idea concerning the ministry and and giving and things of that nature, I thought it was good for particularly the people out there in the internet world that may hear those messages. Uh, As you know, we spent some lengthy time upon that. But we want to take up in verses 9 and 10, at least this morning, of Galatians 6. And be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now again... We need to think about these two passages in light of the whole context of the book of Galatians. You know, this is not like Proverbs that the the, uh, plot seems to change from verse to verse sometimes as you might be reading a dictionary. Uh, But here this is set in its context and the book of Galatians, as you know, Paul was writing to those congregations in Galatia that were being troubled by the Judaizers and they were perverting. Remember, Paul used that word in chapter 1. They were perverting the gospel of Christ. And the way they were perverting the gospel, they were not denying justification by the imputed righteousness, but they were saying that something needed to be added. The only thing that needed to be added to them was just a little foreskin taken away in the rite of circumcision. But if you add anything to the gospel, you have perverted it. 
no matter how small or how great. And we need to always keep that in mind. And so we went through this and showed how that uh, when Paul talks about the gospel, that there's only one gospel. There's not two or three different gospels. There's not two or three different ways to salvation. There's only one gospel. And we either believe the Word of God and the Gospel of God, or we don't. And sometimes it's a fine line of distinction in that, but that needs to be made nevertheless. And we covered that about circumcision and and justification somewhat, and in the other verses, uh, and in chapter 5, we took a little bit of time with regard to showing exactly what it is to walk in the Spirit. And we belabored that point because too often we have the idea that walking in the Spirit is having some kind of feeling that we're doing and God is leading us to do something when plainly we saw from verse after verse after verse that walking in the Spirit is simply obeying the Word of God. And you know whether you're doing that. You may not feel like you're doing it sometime, but you know whether you're just you're, whether your life is guided by what God says. And when we seek to walk by what the Word of God says, then we're walking in the Spirit. It's just that simple. And if you're doing what the world says and what the flesh wants, then you're walking in the flesh. And so in all of these labors and trials and uh, that come upon people ridiculing the Gospel, perverting the Gospel, And as I pointed out earlier, for someone to say that they didn't need any uh, mystical fantasy being to tell them what to do, that they were good, and they knew what was good for them, and that man is good in of himself, they don't need the Word of God. Beloved, we need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. And sometimes in the midst of the battle, we grow grow weary. We, We grow weary. How many times have you thought in the midst of troublesome times, well, I'm just going to throw up my hands and quit. Is it worth it? There have been times in the past in my ministry that I thought I would quit but I was like Jeremiah (laughs) like fire shut up in my bones I couldn't and I can't and I can't quit and sometimes you get to the point that you think that everything is going to go wrong in life that you still can't quit we cannot grow weary in well-doing. We have to continue 
to believe and stand for the gospel of God and know that there's only one gospel and not any other. We, we know that from uh, chapter 1 of Galatians. And I would remind you again where Paul said that, uh, that I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. And you remember, you may remember, uh, there's two Greek words for another. And Paul uses both of the words here in these two verses. He said, when he said that, uh, called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, that's another of a different kind. And when he said that is not another, that means the other gospel is not a, another of the same kind. That's what I like about uh, the beauty of sometimes the language. But Paul goes on to say that though uh, they would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached, we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now what Paul is saying there is that you, believer, are to know what the truth is concerning the gospel. You're not to be just a member in the pew and say, well, that's the preacher's job. The preacher's job is to teach you. And whether you be young or whether you be advanced in age, you're to know what the gospel is and you're to know the Word of God and be able to defend it. Because you never know when you're called upon to defend the gospel. And though we live in a world of perversion on every hand, I mean, if you're one to look at the news or read the news, just think about what a twisted world in which we live. Where a Supreme Court judge doesn't know what a woman is. Can you imagine that? You can't define what a woman is. And if you just believe that you're something, that, then that's what you are. Well, I wish they believed they were donkeys because that's what they act like more than anything else. I mean, seriously. Would you have thought Ten years ago, you would have seen you would see what you're seeing today in our society. But we cannot be weary in defending the gospel of God. Well, there's people that deny the truth of the imputed righteousness of Christ. You're either trusting in your, your own works or you're trusting in the finished work of God and the finished work of Christ. And we cannot be weary in that. We cannot be weary in that. By the, remember, beloved, the more you search your heart, 
And the more that you delve into your own being, you're never going to find anything good. Remember what Paul said? That in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You're a sinner. And you cannot say, though you may think this, I think that some people think that, well, I don't know whether I sinned today or not. I can assure you that you sinned. And I can assure you, according to 1 John, if we get to that, I can assure you that you have sinned. You're not only a sinner, you have sin in you. And we have sin that we don't even know about. You remember under the law, there was one of the sacrifices was for the sin of ignorance. You have sin in you. We're going to multiply that and show the exceeding sinfulness of sin when we get to that. But uh, I can assure you that you have sin. It's not if I have sinned, but I have sinned. We have to oppose the Judaizers, those who are against the gospel, and we cannot be weary in opposing them. We have to continue to fight against the flesh. Fighting against the flesh is a 24-hour-a-day job. I'm, by nature, I'm a weak individual. And at the least opposition, I want to just throw up my hands and sit down and quit. But I know that I can't. You can't do that. I'm like Peter. When the Lord said, will you also go away? Peter said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I don't know any other place to go. We have to constantly walk in the Spirit. And you cannot know how to walk in the Spirit if you do not know the Word of God. Which means you need to be constantly, continually reading the Scriptures. When you get, when you, uh, I believe that uh, there's all kinds of different reading programs, but I believe the best one is just to start in Genesis. Because that's what God gave us and go through Revelation. And when you get through, start in Genesis again. Genesis again. Revelation all the way through. God gave us the book. And He gave us the book in a certain way. And He wants us to know the book. Not just part of it. Not just part of it. Now if you've got a different reading program, I don't want you to feel guilty about that I'm just telling you what I think is best and I've practiced that for uh, over 50 years and Lord willing I'll continue to practice that so in other words you've got to know the scriptures and as I've told you sometimes when I sit down to read the scriptures uh, you know when you get older you, you tend to fall asleep more than uh, you do when you're younger at least I do and sometimes uh, in my scripture reading depending on how long 
each chapter is that I read, and uh, uh, I read five chapters a day. And if Psalm 119 happens, comes along, uh, I read four of the chapters with it. <laughs> so that's, that's just me, but I read it. But sometimes I can read, you know, read my chapters, and if they're short chapters, it doesn't take long, five or ten minutes. Sometimes if they're longer, it might take 15 or 20 minutes. But there have been times it takes me two hours simply because I fall asleep or I can't keep my mind on it and I have to go back and reread and reread. I don't remember what I read, so I have to go back and read over verses again. In other words, it's a labor sometimes just to read the Word of God. You know that. You know that. We're not all a bunch of super uh, spiritual individuals and, you know, we just uh, feel good about everything all the time. It takes labor. It takes labor to serve God. And we have to do it intentionally. Intentionally. Yes, we cannot do it without the Spirit. But when the Word of God says that we're to hide it in our hearts, we're not to wait till we feel like it. You remember when I talked about walking in the Spirit, uh, I said, you know, we don't wait. If, if, uh, if the garden needs to be hoed, we get out there and hold the garden. We don't sit down and pray to God and ask, well, do I feel like it or should I hold the garden today or not? If the garden needs to be hoed, you hoe it. If the grass needs to be mowed, you mow it. You know, if a test is coming up for students, what do you do? You study for it. You study for it. You know, you don't get smart by taking a test. The test is show you how smart you are. And that's the thing about it. And so, it takes work. It takes work. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Even in those things that are good, there's a weariness to the flesh. And as we come on down to the sixth chapter, we, we, not, we cannot be weary in bearing one another's burdens. You know, I was talking to uh, a fellow pastor recently and there's a member of his congregation that, uh, well, he's just a weak brother. And in fact, uh, an older deacon years ago uh, told this pastor just before he died, he said, don't forget so-and-so, he's just a weak brother. And we have weak brethren that we have to put it in human language, we have to put up with. We have to bear their burdens. And we fulfill the law of Christ in doing that. And we, we don't need to grow weary in bearing one another's burdens. And we don't need to be weary in our giving or any other commands. I just tried to go over the whole 
overall Galatians that we studied. And when Paul comes down to this and says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap in due season if we faint not. Now notice what he said. He didn't say, If we keep on doing, then maybe we'll reap. No, he says we will reap. If we faint not. If we faint not. Due to our sinful nature, it is easy to be tempted to give up and quit. I like what A.T. Robertson said about this. He said, It is curious how prone we are to give in and to give out in doing the good which somehow becomes prosy or insipid to us. But God has told us to not to faint. You remember in uh, Luke chapter one, uh, uh, chapter eighteen, verse one, he said, "Be uh, always to pray and faint not. Always to pray and faint not." You said, "Well, I've been praying for something, and I prayed for years for that, and I, it just seems like there's no." Uh, I don't don't see any result in it. Lord said, keep praying. Sometimes in certain situations, I remember what the Lord told Jeremiah concerning Israel. He said, don't pray for them anymore. I'm going to destroy them. They're going into judgment. Two times God told Jeremiah not to pray for Israel. Well, so far, God has never told me, to my knowledge, to quit praying for anyone. And though it looks like God will not change an individual as long as there's life we need to keep praying we need to keep praying because we don't know the future we don't know the future be not weary don't faint look in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 13 But ye brethren be not weary in well doing. Be not weary in well doing. You know as well as I do We're all tempted to grow weary. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, Paul said in verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we faint not. And then in verse 16, 
for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We cannot faint. And He tells us not to grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall faint. faint. For in due season we shall reap. Now here's the thing about reaping. We want to see the fruit in our time. And if we don't receive it, then we are tempted to want to give up. I remember reading many years ago, there was a faithful saint was on his deathbed and somebody asked him, said, how is it that you can die so peaceably when none of your children are serving the Lord? He said, because I know that I did what God would have me to do by them while I was alive. Now this is one of those situations where there was a good ending. After he died, the Lord converted every one of his children. Now that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. But all of our reaping may not always be what we are looking for. Not all plants are harvested at the same time. And there are certain varieties of plants that have different species, or maybe I should say varieties within a certain species, that they don't all harvest at the same time. There are some uh, farmers that I look at sometimes on uh, YouTube. Uh, One particularly in Minnesota that comes to mind. And as I mentioned, I think earlier that they had so much flooding and tornadoes and so on with this farm uh, earlier in the spring that they were a month behind on planting. And they had already purchased their seed uh, to plant. I think this is particularly with soybeans. Uh, I don't remember uh, them getting a different variety of corn. But, uh, and the, but they may have done that too. I'm not, I just don't remember, but I do remember about the soybeans. What they were planning on planting, they didn't. So they put that in storage for next year. Now these are people that farm uh, like 5,000 acres. <laughs> and so they, they, they have storage from year to year and ahead of time and so on. But anyway, they got another variety that they could harvest at a shorter period of time. Still soybeans, just a different variety. And I say that to say that we do not always reap the same way, the same time, and so on. And sometimes we may not reap until after the resurrection. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Verse 19. Paul says to the Thessalonian saints, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? There's going to be some reaping. There's going to be some rejoicing when the Lord returns. And preachers will very likely see some fruit of their labors that they never even, never even saw in their own lifetime. And so likewise with you, there may be things that you've done that you don't even remember. You remember I mentioned last Lord's Day a situation that in my first pastorate had an old gentleman there that was very poor, lived in the backside of nowhere, and there was a sand road led down to his house in the middle of the woods. And uh, I always hate to do this because I'm focusing on myself, but anyway, it serves the point that uh, I visited him one time and given him some money and I'd forgotten all about it till I was visiting Brother Wallace. And one time uh, he brought it up and made mention of it. And I had forgotten about it and probably never would have remembered it again if Brother Wallace hadn't mentioned it. There's many things, beloved, that you've done, no doubt, and helped others that you may not even see the fruit of your labors until the resurrection. So don't grow, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. In due season, in God's own season, in God's own time, you will reap. Mm-hmm. Hebrews says that God is not uh, uh, unrighteous to forget your labor. God's not going to forget it. You may forget it. You may, for, you may forget somebody else's. You might even forget yours. But God's not going to forget it. He knows. And after all, why do we do what we do? If it's not done as unto the Lord, then it's sin anyway. We're to do it for the honor and to the glory of God. And, there, and as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now we'll get to this more when we get to First John. But if God's people are not willing to Go the extra mile for them. Then there's no evidence that he who professes is of the Lord. But we're to do good to all men. And sometimes that goodness is to go out to the world. I think what he's talking about here, all men is all kinds of men. We're not going to 
chase that rabbit, but look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Start at verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now let me clarify that again. It did not say, feel good about your enemies. It didn't say, like like your enemies. It said, love them. You say, well, what's the difference? Love is doing right by your enemies. In other words, if my neighbor is an enemy to me and his livestock gets out, then I should do my best to make sure that his livestock doesn't go astray and even try to help him get them back in. That's loving him. It's giving to the point of sacrifice. I may not like it, I may not like Him. But that's what love is. Remember, love is give, Love is a verb more than it is a noun. It's an action. So when it says love your enemies, it doesn't say feel good about them. I do not particularly probably saying the least, uh, appreciate the policies and the lifestyle of the leader of our nation. But a few weeks ago, he had COVID and I prayed for him. I think God would have me to do that. We're to pray for our leaders. And we're to realize the difference. And when it says love your enemies, it doesn't mean that you are to like them. Or that you, uh, and obviously, obviously, you cannot, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You cannot help them in their cause against Christ. So don't think that I'm going beyond that. Bless them which curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now what do we want to do when we pray for our enemies? God, wipe them out. And there are impeccatory psalms. There are times when you can pray for God to destroy the enemy. David said, Do not I hate them that hate thee? And so there is a time and a place for that. But here the Lord said, To do good to them that hate you 
and to pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I tell you, beloved, that's not easy. That's not easy. I have tried to pray for enemies at times. And first of all, I had to pray for myself that God would give me the right heart in order to pray appropriately for my enemies. And sometimes I just have to say, God, I don't even know how to pray for my enemies. that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now for those that like the red letter better than the black letter, which is not any better, this is the red letter. This is Christ speaking. This is what He tells us to do. If we're going to show forth being children of God, this is what we're going to do. We will be doing this. We will be doing this. May not do it perfectly. We may struggle to do it. And when we don't want to do it, What do we do? We ask God to give us the want to. We ask God to bless us. You remember that verse that I'm always talking about in Hebrews 4? When it talks about that we have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that we can go to Him to find mercy and grace and help in time of need. When we need something, when we need... When we need the right attitude to do what God has told us to do, and we don't have the right attitude, what are we to do? We're to go to God and say, God, I don't, I don't have the right attitude about this. I really don't want to do it. But I know that I ought to do it. And I know I need, the want, I need to have the want to, according to your will, help me. Help me. You remember the incident of the Good Samaritan. You'll find that in Luke chapter 10. The high priest, he wouldn't help his fellow Jew. The Levite wouldn't help the fellow Jew. But the Samaritan did. And the Lord ended that and said, Now which of the three thinketh was a neighbor to him that fell among thieves? 
And he said, Him that showed mercy. And Jesus said, Go, do thou likewise. That's what we're to do. Now, I will agree that there are times that we have to make a distinction because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So the Christian thing to do for the individual that will not do for himself is to let him starve to death. That's the Christian thing. Some months ago, maybe years ago, I don't know how long ago now, I was in Walmart and a certain lady came up to me. She had another lady in the car talking about how they needed some money to get to get home because uh, I don't forgot exactly how the story went. But anyway, uh, I gave her some money. About a week later, I was at a gas station nearby. The same woman came up to me, gave me the same spill. I said, well, I gave you money for that same reason the last time. I won't do it this time. And she had her car parked over to the pump with the, the uh, gas nozzle in the pump like she needed money for gasoline. But when I told her and exposed her, she went back over there, put the pump back in, in the, uh, the, the, the nozzle back in the pump, got in the car and drove off. Sometimes it takes wisdom to know when to do, when not to do. You say, well, what if I get taken advantage of? That's their business, not yours. If you give... And if you help, try to help somebody and they take advantage of you, you just make sure you do it for the right reason. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. And as we have opportunity, sometimes we don't have opportunity. Sometimes you may want to do and you can't. And if you can't, you can't. You don't need to feel guilty about doing what you can't do. You might regret it, but you don't need to feel guilty. As you have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. And I believe that God would have us to be mindful of the Judaizers whom Paul opposed. That there might be an occasion where that some of those Judaizers might need assistance from those Christians. Verse 11 has produced a lot of writing by commentators. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand? Now I'm not going to 
run the risk of boring you, but I have uh, a full page of notes here by John Gill, Albert Barnes, Jameson Fawcett and Brown, and A.T. Robertson on the different ideas and opinions as to what is under consideration here when Paul said, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Some talk about that what he was talking about was a, a lengthy letter. Well, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, they're far lengthier than this. Some think that it was his style of writing that since he was a Hebrew, then he wasn't very good at writing in Greek or maybe uh, Latin. But you remember, where was Paul educated? Where was Paul educated? you remember in our first messages when we studied the life of Paul? Tarsus. One of the three universities of that time. Athens was one. Alexandria was the other. Alexandria, Egypt. And then Tarsus. And Tarsus was a uh, was known for its literary acumens. And Paul was head and shoulders above all of his other students. So I don't, I don't think that you could say that Paul was ignorant and didn't know how to write good Greek or good Latin. Here's a man that was highly intelligent. Some say, well, Paul usually had an amuensis, that is, he usually had a secretary to write what he wrote, and he did many times. But here he wrote the letter himself, and therefore he wasn't good at writing. And a lot of times people that are very smart, and even doctors, you know, when you look at their writing, uh, you wonder which bug it was that wrote across, walked across the prescription pad. There was a professor uh, that I, I guess I've gotten every book that he ever wrote uh, by a man by the name of George Ladd. And uh, anyway, I wrote a letter to him several years ago. This was over 50 years ago. And to my surprise, uh, he wrote me back. And it wasn't typed. It was handwritten. And it was a challenge. <laughs> he didn't write very very neatly either. And some think that's the case with Paul. He was an educated man. He was an intelligent man. And so he wrote in, in such a way that it was hard to, to read. And so you have all of these different men that have all these different ideas about what it was. And I'm going to give you my, my idea of, of one of them. That uh, You remember that earlier Paul talked about uh, that the, the Galatians would have plucked out their eyes for him. That indicated that maybe he had some type of eye disease and couldn't see very well. And I think this is 
possibly what it was that because Paul couldn't see well, he wrote large letters. In other words, he had a large letter uh, epistle. You know, we have the large letter Bibles. Some people have large, larger letters and, and so on. That Paul, when he wrote, he wrote quite largely. And you remember that the original documents were not law, uh, they were all written in capitals. There were no punctuations. There were no capital and little letters. They were all written. They were in capitals. And so I lean toward the fact that because of possibly Paul having some eye disease and it was hard for him to write, uh, to see what was written, he wrote large letters. If you want to see all the other uh, ideas and different opinions, uh, I'll leave that to you and you can go search them out as much as I can. Lord willing, we'll try to maybe finish up this afternoon with the rest of this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, You know our frame that we are but dust. You know how quick we are to grow weary. Not only in well-doing, but just in anything. Sometimes we may take up a hobby that we really like at first, and then <clears throat> later we just quit. And I don't say necessarily that that's always a bad thing. Circumstances have their different situations. But by nature, by nature, it's easy to want to just stop, sit down, do nothing. And sometimes we do need to sit down and take a breath. But I pray, my God, that you would bless us to be focused on the truth of Your Word and to continually seek to live by it, trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ as being our righteousness and know that the only way that You accept us is in the person and work of Christ. Whether we are hot and quick and energetic in some task, or whether we have grown somewhat weary, we're still loved just as much by you in fact, we will not be loved any more when we're glorified than we are now. 
because you love us in Christ. We don't always feel that. We don't always actually see that. But help us to always believe the truth of your word regardless of how we feel. You know our frame. You know we're but dust. And I thank you, my God, that you have put up with this sinner in all of his weaknesses, in all of his complaints, in all of his times of wanting to quit. But I thank you, my God, for the work of grace that continues to be alive. For it is only by your grace that we stand. And it is in Christ we pray. Amen.